sickle. Bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. Hello and welcome to my study. Please uh, come in and have a seat. All the books uh, surrounding you or those used to research our show and um, rather than having three people here uh, this time around it happens to be only me for this segment. Mrs. Uh, Carswell who usually reads any passages from the book suddenly announced she had to leave for a few days though you uh, will be hearing from her a few times in uh, pre-recorded format. Uh, apparently, uh, she says it's expected that she uh, spend Valentine's Day with her mother. Uh, at least that's what she told me. I suppose it doesn't sound exactly out of character, uh, but it was all very abrupt, and there's been some unpleasantness with our uh, outdoor man, Mr. Petrovich. I'm not sure if that plays into it all or not. So what we have tonight, episode 42, Murdered Sweetheart Songs. I am your host, Al Reidenauer, and this show, Bone and Sickle, explores the intertwining of horror and folklore in a historical context. I started the show as a way to further explore this uh, area of intersection after writing my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors who receive a number of monthly rewards, including the um, aforementioned book. And um, speaking of Patreon, I should mention a special offer that's uh, something of a tie-in with the current show. Um, this is something that starts immediately and will run until March 15th. For anyone who signs up at the $4 and up level or increases an existing pledge, we're going to be offering access to a library of folk songs and ballads we're discussing in this show and from quite a number of previous shows. Lots of dark and haunting stuff. And um, I'll have more on that and about Patreon in general at the end of our program. Kind friends, come pay attention and listen to my song. It is about a murder, it won't be Well, yes, tonight is about murder, and since we're celebrating Valentine's Day, about love. We'll be looking at traditional murder ballads, uh, specifically those in which one sweetheart murders another. Not all of them, but some good ones. We'll start with one of the newest and most well-known, the American song, Banks of the Ohio. Uh, by newest, I mean that it can be traced back uh, no further than the 19th century, though it does clearly borrow from older British and Irish songs, and we'll be working our way backwards to some of those. It's always hard to date folk songs as they were orally transmitted and it 
wasn't until the late 1800s that anyone found it worthwhile to uh, transcribe the lyrics or discuss the topic in the written record. And uh, folk songs also uh, notoriously mix and match lines from one to the other, so where one starts and another ends is a little difficult to determine. Lyrics uh, did become a little less fluid with the advent of recording in the uh, 1860s, but then it wasn't until the 1920s that anyone presumed there could be an audience for these sorts of uh, backwoodsy ballads. So it's from 1927 that we have our first recording of The Banks of the Ohio by Red Patterson's Piedmont Log Rollers. Down beside where the water flows Down on the banks of the Ohio The song has been recorded hundreds of times, so it's hard to know where to start or with what version it's even been covered in a Swedish uh, version from 1972 and uh, came out as a Czech single in 1975. Because he's a master of songs about alcoholism and suicide, car wrecks, and mental patients locked in rubber rooms, I think we'll let uh, Porter Wagner tell the story with his 1966 version. I asked my love to take a walk, just to walk a little ways as we talked about our future wedding day. And when she told me she could never be mine, I placed a knife against her breast as in two my arms she pressed she cried oh please don't murder me i'm not prepared for eternity sadly the uh, song's narrator doesn't heed her pleas and either stabs or slashes the throat of his beloved and then disposes of her body in the ohio river i took her Monstrous as this is, there's also a certain lovesick tragedy to it all, with the uh, singer immediately recognizing. I killed the girl that I love best because she would not be my bride. As the chorus returns to haunt him with the dream he has destroyed. And our So while our uh, Ohio River killer, in, in his contrition, may possess at least a shred of humanity, you'll find no such thing in our next murderer, the narrator of the ballad, Down in the Willow Garden. Uh, by the way, that last version of Banks of the Ohio was uh, by the Kossoy sisters, 
We've heard from them before in our um, Butcher Lore episode, in which they provided a song about the uh, bloody slaughter of the giant Darby Ram. The uh, earliest version of Down in the Willow Garden appears to have uh, not gone by that title, but by uh, Rose uh, Connolly, the uh, victim's name, an Irish family name, pointing to the song's likely roots in that country. Uh, Rose Connolly was the name used for this uh, first recorded version from 1927, the same year as the Banks of the Ohio came out. The artists were two old-time musicians from North Carolina, G.B. Grayson and Henry Witter, whom you are hearing now. Down in the willow garden, where me and my love did be. While visiting the U.S. in 1918, the British uh, folk music collector Cecil Sharp encountered the song in uh, Grayson and Witter's uh, native North Carolina, as uh, well as in Virginia, and uh, an early mention in a book uh, from 1915 refers to the song as being popular in Virginia in 1895, but that's uh, as far back as we go on this one. The um, murder itself in this song is much more involved than in our last. Uh, here's what happens. I had a bottle of the burglar's wine, which my true love did not know. And there I poisoned my old true love down under the banks below. Now, uh, poisoning is only the first part of this uh, gruesome process. If you couldn't quite catch what sort of wine seems to have been poisoned, and you thought you heard burglar wine, you did. Um, there's endless discussion as to what this could mean, with uh, many scholars believing it's the singer's mishearing or substitution for uh, other similar-sounding words, uh, Berkeley wine or Berdlin, or a French word for a type of pear from which wine can be made. But um, Burgundy is the uh, more reasonable word used in most versions today. Now, but this is a modern substitution and definitely not original. It doesn't really matter. The point is the wine is drugged, but that's not enough to kill our poor Rose Connolly. The uh, Cosway sisters will tell us what else awaits her. Below, I stabbed her with my there is something even more chillingly senseless and psychotic in this murder than what was uh, probably intended. As with a number of songs we'll be hearing, it can be assumed that the uh, murdered woman had become pregnant and is murdered by a lover unwilling to take responsibility for the child. Pregnancy in these old ballads, uh, unlike murder, ironically, might not be mentioned directly as a matter of uh, discretion. But we needn't overextend that explanation. The societal pressures won't explain every monstrous deed in every ballad. If you look at other songs, including some I've discussed in past episodes, you'll find plenty of murders with no explanation other than the evil in the heart of the killer. So uh, just a reminder that the uh, chilling senselessness of the crime, that particular 
sense of horror may uh, sometimes be intentional. In any case, Down in the Willow Garden ends with the killer, whether remorseful or not, facing the consequences of his deeds. We hear that his father is uh, despondently weeping and apparently incorrect about money setting him free, and that the killer is now... Like the banks of the Ohio, Down in the Willow Garden is, of course, conveniently set by a river where the uh, victim's body might be disposed of. But there's more to the setting than uh, that little practical matter. It's uh, important that uh, these uh, locations are remote and would have been understood by uh, original listeners as dangerous to a young woman who should uh, restrict her according to uh, safer, more supervised locations. So the garden aspect of Willow Garden, the place's attractiveness would be part of a dangerous seduction. This is made even more obvious in the song, The Banks of Red Roses. That's a 1962 version of the song by Gene Redpath from Scotland, the country the song's most associated with, um, though it's also found in England and Ireland, and of course it made its way across the Atlantic to Appalachia and beyond. Um, there's an earlier date on this one, as it appears in a Scottish collection as early as uh, 1790. In this ballad, in the uh, Banks of Red Roses, the victim Jeannie's seduction is aided by Johnny serenading her amid the roses on one of uh, various musical instruments, depending on the version, uh, fiddle or accordion usually. In some versions, Johnny has even already dug the girl's grave in a nearby cavern. In any case, it all ends badly for Jeannie, as these things do. He took out his pocket knife And it was long and sharp And he plunged it through and through And he plunged it right into His own dear Mary plunged it And he plunged Another strictly American song, but clearly with roots in these old world ballads, is The Lone Green Valley, sometimes also called The Jealous Lover. It was recorded first in 1926 for the Edison Company, around the time that our other murder ballads were recorded. And the roses in our last song are 
here again in the uh, first verse, as sung by Vernon Dalhart on that first recording. Way down in Lone Green Valley, where roses bloom and fade, there was a jealous lover in love with a beautiful maid. Whether the song just happened to draw from the same sources or whether it was itself a derivative of Banks of the Ohio is unknown. But it begins with the killer here, also named Willie, discussing wedding plans with his intended. Dahlhart's recording, unlike other versions, which leave the murder unexplained, uh, inserts a verse making clear that it's uh, late at night and the tired woman expresses a wish to return home. Apparently, Willie here is a psychotic hothead and reacts to this request by threatening to kill her. Down on her knees before him, she pleaded for her life. But deep into her bosom, he plunged a fatal knife. Well, all very dreadful, but what almost makes it worse, or better, depending on where you stand, is that the song ends in a way unique to these ballads with the uh, fiancé choosing to forgive her psychotic lover or killer. I will forgive you, Willie, and close my eyes in This song is now largely forgotten, but was memorialized by the painter and muralist Thomas Hart Benton, in a 1934 work called The Jealous Lover slash Lone Green Valley. It uh, depicts the murder transpiring as a background to a group of oblivious musicians. By the way, Benton's early interest in folk music in the 1940s resulted in him starting a band called the uh, Harmonica Rascals, one which uh, Benton's student, Jackson Pollock, dearly wished to join. Pollock, however, uh, showed absolutely no aptitude at learning the fiddle as he'd hoped, but did eventually manage to uh, tag along by playing a little jaw harp now and then. This record by Arthur Tanner and his Corn Shuckers was recorded in 1927, just a year after Lester McFarlane and Robert Gardner recorded this version. The name of the song is Knoxville Girl, as in Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, these uh, 1920s versions are only the tip of the uh, chronological iceberg here, as it's a version of a British ballad that's uh, first mentioned all the way back around uh, 1700. This uh, American take on the song was uh, most famously rendered by the Leuven Brothers on their appropriately titled 1956 album, The Tragic Side of Life. I'll let them uh, describe the horrible deed in their uh, chillingly upbeat style. And note that the killer is again named Willie, uh, suggesting a link with uh, the banks of the Ohio. I picked a stick up off the ground and knocked that fire girl down. She fell down on her bended knees, for mercy she did cry. Oh, Willie, dear, don't kill me here, I'm unprepared to die. She never spoke another word, 
So as I suggested, the setting of this song was not originally Knoxville. There was an earlier American version with the girl in question coming from Lexington, Kentucky. And across the Atlantic, the best-known version has the girl coming from Oxford. And there's an Irish version with the victim from Wexford. Uh, there are also lesser-known versions placing the events in uh, Berkshire, uh, Eakville, Dublin, and elsewhere. In uh, most versions of this song, the uh, killer's uh, guilt-ridden attempts to... Uh, Go to sleep after returning home from the murder are uh, nicely described. Rolled and tumbled the whole night through as troubles was for me. Like flames of hell around my bed and in the fire up the brimstone around my head in shine. So all these versions are presumed to come from a broadsheet published around 1685. I've mentioned these uh, single-page publications that were paddled at fairs and markets before as they're often good sources of uh, sensational stories of the supernatural or uh, accounts of gruesome murders. They were sort of the tabloids of the day. They might uh, contain news stories or uh, be uh, in rhymed form, uh, printed poems or ballads that would come not with a musical notation, but with a uh, suggestion for a uh, well-known tune to which the uh, printed lyric might be sung. A popular form of these would be the uh, gallows confession or ballad, a uh, supposed first-person recounting of a crime made by the convict before his execution. Many of these were obviously pure works of fiction, uh, grisly accounts uh, said to have transpired in uh, locations uh, conveniently distant from the uh, town where it would be distributed, where there might actually be some hope of verification of all the details. Or they uh, might be purely imaginary confessions written up in the print shops the night before an execution and uh, distributed among the large crowds that would gather for those. The first-person account from the uh, murderer standing on the gallows in, down in the Willow Gardens uh, happens to fit this form, though we actually don't find broadsheets with that particular lyric, though we do for the similar story of the Oxford or Wexford girl, with some versions of the song even making the uh, gallows uh, setting very explicit, uh, using the title, Hanged I Shall Be. The murdering of this pretty fair maid, so hanged I shall be. A well-known collector of these uh, street publications was uh, Samuel uh, Pepys, the 17th century British writer famous for the uh, diaries he kept. Among the uh, 1800 examples in his collection uh, was this one from around 1685 entitled The Bloody Miller, which in its uh, foreword uh, largely summed up the details of the crime. A true and just account of one Francis Cooper of Hoxtow near Shrewsbury, who was a miller's servant and kept company with one Anne Nichols for the space of two years, who then proved to be with child by him, and being urged by her father to marry her, he most wickedly and barbarously murdered her. 
So here we do have the motivation of the unwanted pregnancy spelled out, and uh, this is uh, likewise mentioned in many of the uh, ballads in this category. Like the uh, Knoxville Girl, the uh, 1685 broadsheet even includes the detail of the killer disposing of the body in a river, as well as the uh, visions of hellfire suffered by the murderer upon returning from the scene of the crime. However, along with the town shifting around in subsequent versions, uh, the occupation of the killer, something uh, omitted from Knoxville Girl, is often included in the uh, British and Irish ballads, where uh, he's identified as an apprentice to a miller, hence the uh, title The Bloody Miller, or uh, Prentice Boy, which is sometimes also called. But in a few, something else is suggested. This in me to a butcher's shop For a butcher's boy to be I suppose butchering seemed a more appropriate avocation for a killer, and it's um, interesting to note that in these versions, the victim is not bludgeoned with a stick, but a uh, weapon more suited to his trade. Tell he pulled a knife from out of his breast, and he stabbed her to the ground. <laughs> A particular version of the song, which is usually given the title The Oxford Girl, attributes a strangely gentle quality to this uh, brutal bludgeoning. Here's uh, singer Shirley Collins' very traditional take on the song from 1970, complete with uh, archaic pronunciations. I catched a stick from out the hedge And I gently knocked her down and the blood from that poor innocent girl came a trinkling to the ground. So gentle. Along with the murder itself, there's one other detail that appears in every single version of this ballad, and that is a nosebleed. It's even in the newer American version. I started back to The strange thing is, the inclusion of the nosebleed is not necessarily always an excuse the killer makes for his uh, bloody hands or clothing. In many versions it is, but in our original 1685 broadsheet, it's used differently. There, the killer's nose begins to bleed as his guilty verdict is handed down. It reads, But when I saw for this my fate, just judgment on me passed. The blood in court ran from my nose, yea, ran exceeding fast. Now, a spontaneously bleeding nose was uh, once uh, widely regarded as an ill omen. In this case, as the verdict is passed, it would be a uh, supernatural confirmation of the court's guilty verdict. Samuel Pepys himself, who collected this broadsheet, uh, refers to uh, the superstition in his diary commenting on the departure of an acquaintance on July 6, 1614. 
It was an ominous thing, methought. Just as he was bidding me his last adieu, his nose fell a bleeding, which run in my mind a pretty while after. So this nosebleed brings us to a subset of more obscure sweetheart murder ballads in which the identity of the killer is supernaturally revealed. Our first example is The Old Oak Tree, an Irish ballad that first appears in print in 1867. So this is really a good one. It begins on a dark and stormy night with a young woman named Betsy running away from home. It's a terrible time for her to set out, but as uh, singer Patty Tunney explains in his 1975 recording, But love had made her bold. When she hasn't returned the next morning, her widowed mother sets out to find her, searching desperately for three weeks until unsuccessfully returning home where she dies of a broken heart. Three weeks after this, a squire, James McCullough, is out hunting with his hounds when the animals come to an old oak tree where the dogs begin to behave strangely. And there the hounds began to sniff, to yelp and tear the clay. Realizing what this might mean, the men accompanying the squire gather picks and shovels and begin digging on the spot, only to make a horrible discovery. The grave revealed the dreadful deed. It was a shocking sight. The worms were crawling through the eyes that once were blue and bright. The bosom, once so soft and fair, was black and blue with blows. And from her wounds fresh blood did ooze and tree killed through her clothes. So, like the uh, nosebleed that confirms the guilt of the murderer of the uh, Oxford girl, the supernatural bleeding of the corpse here aligns with the process called crunation, or the beer rite, which I mentioned in episode 14, uh, whereby a uh, murder suspect would be uh, brought to the corpse of a victim lying on its beer, and if it suddenly bled, that identified the uh, suspect as the murderer. And the ballad provides an even more damning bit of evidence, a rather obvious one. A knife is pulled from the corpse, and it bears the monogram of the squire. Since I'd done the deed, McCullough cried, My soul is food for hell. McCullough confesses to sporting with Betsy, who would constantly beg him to make an honest woman of her. But having no intention of marrying the girl, the squire is at a loss as to what to do until... The devil whispered, take our life, and then you will be free. The knife that did my dinner cut, I plunged into her breast, and by the half... I struck her down, I needn't tell the rest. Ah, but the song gets better still. After his confession, He drew a pistol from his breast And fired it through his brain And he is buried where he fell 
No Christian grave got he, for no priest was found to bless the ground in under the old oak tree. A uh, Scottish song from the early 1800s offers uh, uh, an even more supernatural means by which uh, the fiend who murders his lover is identified, and that would be the appearance of a ghost. The song is called Young Benji and uh, tells of a great love between this uh, Benji and Marjorie, uh, which sadly goes awry. One night, Benji appears at Marjorie's door and though it's not explicit in the song, it seems that they venture out together as we find them uh, near a uh, waterfall or a lynn, uh, the Scottish word that's uh, used in the lyric. Uh, Rosaline Gregory will uh, continue the story in her 2012 recording of the ballad. Then soft she smiled and said to him, Oh, what ill have I done? He took her in his arms too and threw her o'er the limb. The stream was strong, the maid was stout, and loath, loath to be drowned. But ere she won the Loudon banks, her fair colour was won. Uh, that is, by the time her body reaches the banks of the Loudon, she has died. Her brothers discover the sister's corpse. And furious with a desire for revenge, their only hope is a sign identifying the murderer at Marjorie's like wake. Uh, that is, her wake, with uh, like here just being an old Saxon word for corpse, so a corpse wake. The best kind of wake. The night it is her low-like wake, the morn her burial day. And we mourn watch at murk midnight to hear what she may say. About the middle of the night, the cocks began to crow. And at the mid-hour of the night, the corpse began to throw. That is, it uh, began to convulse with signs of life as her uh, spirit uh, returned or rose. This uh, revenant identifies the killer, and the brothers ask what form of vengeance they should uh, take. Shall we young Benji head, sister? Shall we young Benji hang? Or shall we pike out his two gray een and punish him ere he gang? Well, she doesn't choose plain old beheading or hanging. She chooses the last, gouging out his eyes and constant punishment as a slave in the uh, brother's household. She further suggests that uh, young Benji be led about by a green band tied around his neck. She also says, And I at every seven years end, you'll take him to the Lynn. And that's the penance he must endure to ease his deadly sin. Our 
last song would be particularly obscure were it not for this uh, cover by Nick Cave along with PJ Harvey from his uh, excellent 1996 album Murder Ballads. He calls it Henry Lee, which is one of the many names it goes by along with Love Henry. These are both newer American names. The song is usually said to originate in uh, 18th century Scotland, but the uh, pioneering British ballad collector Francis James Child also noted uh, very similar ballads from Scandinavia. Anyway, the older title of the song most often used is Young Hunting, or less frequently Earl Richard, uh, The Proud Girl, or The False Lady. And this one offers a refreshing change. This song features the woman in the role of the murderer. While this story is very Scottish and rather archaic in its essentials, it's had a particularly robust circulation in Appalachia where uh, the tale survives in an oddly fractured form, like many folk songs. Nick Cave and uh, P.J. Harvey's version seems to derive from these uh, versions and is also fairly bewildering with its inexplicable presence of a little bird alongside a gruesome murder. Get down, get down, little Henry Lee, and stay all night long. Get down, get down, little Henry Lee, and stay all night with me. Now, this is probably the earliest recording of the song, made in 1929, by uh, West Virginian blues and folk singer Dick Justice. So this refraining uh, get down, get down, which might sound a little out of place, is lacking its original context. It's uh, a woman, originally uh, mostly known as Lady Margaret, asking her lover who's come for a visit to uh, get down from his horse and come in. Older versions portray him as a knight or an earl just come in from hunting, hence the uh, young hunting and Earl Richard titles. But uh, sadly, the point of him visiting seems to be to tell Lady Margaret that he's found another lover whom he loves better. Nevertheless, she begs for a final kiss or for him to uh, spend the night, sometimes with uh, an enumeration of details about the uh, warmth of her welcome, her glowing hearth and candles and wine and the like. But her motivation seems here to be a little darker than just one last kiss. As uh, Henry Lee leans into her. And with a little pen knife held in her hand, well, she plugged him through and through. With a pen knife in her hand, she wounded. Hit, she drawed out her little pen knife. Hit a pen keen and sharp. With a pen knife in her hand, she wounded him. Well, the uh, weapon is almost invariably a penknife. In an older version, Child Collected, uh, it has it as a uh, bodkin, that is something like a knitting needle or a pin for fastening hair or killing a lover. Then comes the uh, problem of getting rid of the body. Occasionally, Lady Margaret does this herself, but most often she calls upon her uh, servants, telling them, oh, by the way, there's a dead man in my bedchamber. I wish he was away, way. I wish he was away. 
In older versions collected by Child, the corpse has been kept on the premises for three quarters of a year uh, before we hear of uh, Lady Margaret getting a little nervous about the situation. And in these versions, the corpse of Henry Lee is thrown into the River Clyde. But in nearly all later versions, the choice is a deep well. After dumping the body, Lady Margaret spitefully cries out, Lie there, lie there, you false young man. Lie there, lie there alone. And let the one that you love best think you long a coming home, home, oh, long a coming home. The servants are sworn to secrecy with the bribe of a ring or valuable clothing. But then there's the problem of a little bird that has uh, witnessed the whole thing. And it's a talking bird, of course, a parrot in the older versions. And it's threatening to tattle. Uh, Margaret attempts to buy its silence, as she's done with the servants, offering the bird a golden cage in which it has no interest. And then it refuses her refraining request to come down, come down from its perch, pointing out that uh, this did not go well for the uh, last person who came down from his horse. Lady Margaret wishes aloud for a bow and arrow to shoot the bird, but by this time the bird has uh, sensibly flown off. Some writers regard the bird as a symbol of uh, Henry Lee's soul, which may or may not be. But on its face, the scene is actually comic and may well have just been inserted to leave the audience with a bit of levity after such a gruesome tale. Odd as it is, the bird sequence here is all but identical to a scene from the uh, ballad Lady Isabel and the Elf Knight, which I mentioned in episode 14, along with uh, another tattling bird in the uh, grim fairy tale The Juniper Tree. While most newer versions end with the bird simply being out there, knowing the murderer's secret. In the oldest versions, the bird is a bit more aggressive, flying off to tell the king of the crime his knights committed. And uh, here, the bird helps locate the victim's body. The king has had his divers, called duckers in the uh, Scottish lyric, uh, out searching for the body, not in the well, but in the river in these versions. Uh, but rather than doing this during the day, the bird directs them to do so at night, when a bright burning candle will mark the spot where the body might be found. Sir Walter Scott, another avid collector of these old ballads, regarded this reference to candles as uh, referring to the belief in so-called corpse lights, uh, lights that might uh, sometimes mark the location of dead bodies. But uh, Child and others I believe what's being referred to here is the uh, old custom of locating the body of a drowned person by casting a loaf of bread fixed with a candle or sometimes a bit of quicksilver out on the water and watching for the spot to which it floats. And there would be the body. This practice, by the way, is mentioned in Huckleberry Finn and uh, also apparently was in use up into the late 1800s according to British and American newspaper accounts which remark upon it being used with great success. Once the body of Henry Lee is hauled up, it's described as being particularly pale or sometimes even blue. That is, until it miraculously runs red with blood in the presence of Lady Margaret, fingering her as the killer, as in the old oak tree and the Oxford girl. And of course, there are consequences, not only for Lady Margaret, but her co-conspirators the servants, all of whom are to be consigned to the flames. 
The king's men gather wood and set it alight, but the two servants, being less guilty, seem not to be flammable. But the murderer herself, uh, according to this very old lyric sung by A.L. Lloyd in 1970, Margaret herself, well, she burned like the holy green. Now, normally people being burned at the stake would make for a suitably grim and perfectly respectable ending for our little show. But as this is our Valentine's show, I thought I'd end with something a bit more tragically romantic. As it turns out, some Appalachian uh, derivations of this song are in some ways uh, less dark and, you might even say, a bit romantic. In these, Henry Lee refuses to come in to be with Margaret as he already happens to have a wife. It's not clear from these abbreviated versions what their previous relationship has been, but Margaret is still unhappy with this refusal and stabs him as per usual. But in these songs, the assault is more of a crime of passion, not a premeditated act, and is immediately regretted. In most of these, the would-be murderer even calls for a doctor. The uh, poignancy of the whole thing is nicely conveyed in this uh, atypical 2008 uh, rendering of the song by Jolie Holland. Get well, get well, love, Henry, she cried. Get well, get well, said she. Oh, don't you say Can't you just see a fear-wracked Lady Margaret clutching Henry Lee as he slumps into a dark pool of blood? And then Henry Lee tells Margaret, no doctor can save him now, only God. And he dies. I didn't say it was going to be a happy ending. I said it was going to be tragically romantic. Anyway, as with these other songs, Margaret tosses the corpse out in the river where... He floats away with all the other unfortunates killed so that uh, later generations, uh, when feeling a bit wistful or romantic, can enjoy a good folk song. everyone's been enjoying our show and that you uh, might uh, be able to share it with friends or via social media or uh, leave reviews particularly on apple podcasts if you have left a review by all means let me know and we'll give you a little on-air shout out our website boatandsickle.com provides links to our facebook group twitter and instagram along with uh, show notes with plenty of images and video links to uh, media used in the program we uh, use quite a lot of music in the show, most of which is the uh, original background music, but we also feature uh, songs like the old ballads we've been using this week. And I want to remind listeners uh, what I said at the top of the show about a special offer that's 
good till March 15th for anyone who signs up at the $4 level and up or increases an existing pledge. For those people, we're going to be offering access to a library of the folk songs and ballads used in this and other programs. I regularly link songs that are featured in the show in the show notes, but this will include dozens of other non-featured songs used in uh, those uh, collage-style mixes they do, as well as other versions of the uh, songs, which might be of interest. I usually don't do this, but I'm trying to make a serious push for support, so I'm going to run through the Patreon rewards offered. $4 members receive monthly downloads of rare, usually uh, rather antique folklore history or horror volumes. $8 members get uh, extra downloadable audio, that is, uh, monthly readings of horror or folklore texts, given the uh, bone and sickle treatment with a little bit of ambient soundscaping, that is. $12 gets you a monthly download of the uh, complete background soundscapes we use here. That is all the music and sound effects without the narration, as well as the rare book downloads and the uh, recorded stories. $18 gets you my Krampus book, signed if you like, as well as the soundscapes, the recorded stories, and the rare book downloads. And $24 gets you everything I've mentioned, as well as the special handcrafted mystery kit crammed with somewhat baffling findings evocative of our show's uh, folk horror aesthetic and everything else I've mentioned and donation levels begin at one dollar a month if you just want to give a dollar special thanks to our latest subscribers Timothy Owen Valerie Smith Malpertu Stephanie LaHaye and Chase T Hopper and thanks to those who recently left reviews Conrad Tillingust available nickname and Victoria H1962 the show is written and produced by me, Al Reidenauer. Mrs. Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects and writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com. Thanks so much for listening, and stay safe, young lovers. <laughs>